Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Gray, Georgia. Led by Pastor Randy Darnell, FBC Gray seeks to help people of all walks of life find Jesus and give Jesus away. If you are ever in the middle Georgia area, we would love to see you at one of our services. You can learn more about us at fbcgray.org. Now let's join Pastor Randy as we take another look into God's Word. Tara, what do you think of when I say the word Tara? There you go. There you go. Gone with the wind because I saw Gone with the Wind on the big screen, no less. Not on DVD, not on television, but when I was a little boy, they took our uh, grade, I don't remember what grade it was, to the cinema, and we got to see Gone with the Wind on the big screen. We were warned when it came on that uh, there's going to be an intermission in the middle. I'm going, that's kind of weird, having an intermission. It's a good thing to have an intermission in the middle of Gone with the Wind. It is an investment when you decide that you want to walk it, watch it. Counting the introduction, the intermission, and the exit music, the movie lasts just a few minutes short of four hours. So you got to want to watch it when you watch it. When you say Tara, I think of a very beautiful Vivian Lee dressed up in hoop skirts and saying, oh, fiddly-dee, to things that she wanted to ignore. I remember the weenie Ashley Wilkes. You may like Ashley Wilkes, but I'm sorry. He's a weenie. I never liked Ashley. And the too-good-to-be-true Melanie, played by Olivia de Havilland. And, of course, Clark Gable was the devilishly good-looking and the devilish Rhett Butler, whose parting words to Scarlett opened the Pandora's box to foul language in the media from that moment forward. Tara was the plantation that Scarlett lived on. It was a beautiful plantation. Large Georgia live oaks surrounded this beautiful white mansion with its stately columns. It had two chimneys that were reaching towards the sky. As a young man raised in rural, but a rural subdivision in Austell, Georgia, I couldn't wait to see a plantation that looked like Tara. When I was at Mercer, some of the friends got together and told me that the Gerald Plantation plantation was having a special event and let's go to the Gerald Plantation and I thought here's my chance I was so excited y'all did it too didn't you so excited I had never seen a real live Georgia plantation I lived in Georgia all of my life I traveled Georgia from Augusta to Carrollton from, from Blairsville to Folkestone, and I had never seen a real live Georgia Terra-type plantation. That should have been a sign, <coughs> excuse me, that should have been a sign to me that all those travels I'd never seen it, but television said that Terra existed, and I wanted to see it. Well, some of you have been to the Terra, to the uh, Gerald Plantation, I can't really describe to you the depths of my disappointment. There are no stately antebellum homes on the property of the Gerald Plantation. There is nothing that has a gigantic white column with twin chimneys that are reaching toward the sky. No open fields of grass and oak trees nestled sedately in the middle of acres of farmland. 
There was this smallish little pine farmhouse of a type that I had seen many times in my life as I traveled across Georgia. I had no clue. I was looking at plantations every time I saw one of those houses. Had no clue. As I toured the plantation, my disappointment slowly but surely changed to understanding and finally appreciation to the people who lived there and worked that plantation. It wasn't Sunday parties with hoop skirt, hoop skirted bells and dapper young bows flirting on the porch sipping mint juleps. It was backbreaking work. From dawn till dark under the hot Georgia sun, without air conditioning, without ice. Can you imagine living in Georgia without ice? That's just insane to me. They planted in the dark, rich Georgia soil, and sometimes they planted in the red, rich Georgia clay. What gone with the wind led me to believe, and what was real, were two different things. I feel an awful lot like Pontius Pilate lately. When he was interrogating Jesus, he tells Pilate, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice, to which Pilate replies, what is truth? What is truth? Given the world we're living in right now, I think that's a legitimate question to ask. What is truth? Our big idea this morning is simply this. We want to know the truth. We want to accept the truth. And we want to speak the truth. Our topic this morning is slavery, racism, and the church. I know by saying that that I just all kinds of emotions just flooded through the sanctuary. Every one of us, when we hear those words, have this visceral reaction that occurs inside of us one way or another. I'm begging you this morning to grant me some grace and let me take us on a trip. Because our mission this morning is to know the truth, to accept the truth, and to be able to speak the truth. And in order to do those things, you've got to know the truth. Our motivation, my motivation behind this morning's message is I'm tired of being called a racist. I'm sick and tired of it. I'm tired of hearing that my country is designed to be racist. I am tired of hearing people saying that the only way to fix the problems of our country is to burn it down and start all over again. I had already scheduled a break today in Daniel providentially a long time ago I figured we'd had enough of Daniel by now we need to take a deep breath we need to move on little did I know that the Lord would pester me with this idea until I couldn't stand myself anymore so we're going to talk about slavery racism and the church what is the truth about slavery and systemic racism now, if I were to ask you what systemic racism is, I suspect the majority of you would do like me and go, well, and you kind of sputter out something, but you don't really know. So I went to Merriam-Webster, who knows everything. Merriam-Webster defines systemic racism this way, the systemic oppression of a racial group to the social, economic, and political advantage of another group. Some say that systemic racism means that since our system of government was designed by white Western Europeans. It has to have an inherent bias towards those, white Western Europe those of white Western European descent. 
and is therefore irredeemable and must be replaced with a system that is more inclusive. In this case, Christianity falls within those boundaries. Even though Christianity is an Eastern religion, it was appropriated by the West. It's been influenced a lot by Western theologians. Therefore, there are groups that say that Christianity itself is racist. It should be ignored. It should be abolished. Is this true? Is this true? In order to get to the essence of this, I've got to give you a history lesson. I'm sorry, but that's what you got to get. The good thing for you is, is that I spent four or five hours reading the history, so you don't have to, but if you want to, it's there. Make sure you read a reputable historical group. Don't go to the 1619 Project to get your history. Go dig out something from a long time ago and read that history. Slavery has been a part of the human condition forever. Since the beginning of time, I don't know how long after Adam and Eve somebody put somebody else into slavery, but it's been here forever. We're studying the book of Daniel. Do y'all remember the setting of the book of Daniel? We hadn't put it in these terms, but it's absolutely true. Jerusalem was conquered by Assyria, by King Nebuchadnezzar, and all of the able-bodied Jews were carted off into exile, into Assyria. What were they carted off to? They were carted off to be slaves. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, or as they were really called, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, were Jewish slaves in Babylon. We've been studying for the last seven weeks, we've been studying about a Jewish slave in a foreign country. Now, why do people enslave one another? Why did they do that? It's really simple. They are different from us. It started out as tribal warfare. Maybe one tribe and another tribe were competing for the same water and the same grassland for their cattle. Maybe the whatever, doesn't matter what the whatever was, whatever it was made them them and made us us. And since we are who we are, we're always superior to them. That's a fact of human nature. When you look at people around you, you automatically size them up to decide if you're superior to them or not. It's what we do. We can't deny that. It is human nature. It's something we have to fight when we're getting along with other people. It's a fact. And the sad part of all of this is that the church was complicit in this. In every religion that I've read about, every religion, They've been complicit in exactly the same way. Christians are not supposed to enslave Christians. They're supposed to enslave other people. Muslims are not supposed to enslave Muslims. They're supposed to enslave other people. Jews aren't supposed to enslave Jews. They're supposed to enslave other people. Because everyone else can be a slave because everyone else is they and we are us. And it's so easy to look back on these folks as barbarians and uncivilized, that's what's going on in our nation now with people trying to tear down all of the uh, statues and change the history, wanting to judge these past years by 
our morality, our sense of what's right and wrong, let me warn you of this. And if there's anybody listening that thinks about this, let me warn you of this. If Jesus doesn't come back in a thousand years, they're going to look at us the same way we're looking at them. And I guarantee you that they're going to talk about abortion as being a scourge that they could not figure out how in the world would you allow people to do that? Who could be civilized and do that? There will be the same type of judgment on us. The Bible talks about slavery and teaches masters how to handle their slaves. And many, many say that because of that, then the Bible condones slavery. And many Christians through the years have used the Bible to say that, that, say that slave ownership is acceptable in God's eyes. Some of the early church fathers showed scriptural support of slavery. In the Middle Ages, some of the theologians in the Middle Ages had to change things just a little bit. They took where the church fathers were and they embellished it a little bit because nations and economies were changing. And it was no longer good for Germans to enslave Frenchmen or Frenchmen to enslave Scandinavians because they were all interdependent kind of with economics. They all kind of looked alike. And so what happened is the church helped them out by coming up with a new model of discrimination, skin color. Christian theologians stated that dark-skinned people bore the curse of Ham, one of Noah's sons, and that made them inferior. They became them. Now, I bring that up to you for this reason. When I was a young man, I had someone sit down and explain that to me. Let me help you understand something. That is a lie from the pit of hell, and it smells like smoke. Nowhere in the story of Ham does it mention race, skin tone, anything at all. It's not there. If you were born and bred to believe that, you've been believing a lie. Throw it away. It is not true. Scripture doesn't support it. It is wrong. It's a construct to keep us us and them them. Y'all hang in with me. This is uncomfortable, but we've got to see the progression of history in order to understand the truth. In the 16th and 17th century, slavery changed. Slavery has always been a part of the human condition, but it changed. In prior times, I want you to think about this and, and you'll understand how, how I'm kind of right on this, not kind of, I'm right on this, in, in, in other times, before the 16th and 17th century, when people were taken into slavery, they were kind of taken into slavery as a group. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel stayed together, didn't they? When you read the story in Daniel, you see that that group sort of hung in there together. They weren't looked at as property. They were looked at as another people that were enslaved to do the work that we didn't want to do. Now, you go back and you'll say, well, Randy, I've read about this and I've read about that. Yep, there are instances where it happened differently, but by and large, that's the way it worked through history until the 16th and 17th century. In the 16th and 17th century, slavery turned into something called chattel slavery, and in chattel slavery, you were no longer 
people that were enslaved by somebody else, you became a commodity. Slaves were bought, sold, used, and discarded at the whim of the owner. Family units didn't matter anymore. A family could be put on the auction block, a father would be sold to one person, a mother would be sold to another person, a child would be sold to another person. It was a very, very profitable market. It was insanely profitable. During this, during this period of slave trade, it's estimated that up to 15 million African slaves were relocated to the Americas. 15 million. Here's something that I found astonishing. I didn't realize this. The media has portrayed this just a little bit differently. The vast majority of African slaves were not relocated to the United States. The vast majority of African slaves were relocated to the Caribbean islands and to South America. Only three to four million Africans, now that's a lot, not disparaging it, but only three to four million Africans were, removed, were brought to the United States as slaves. The majority went somewhere else. I thought the majority was here. I had been told that we were the worst offenders on the face of this earth. I've been told as a rationalization of slavery that, Europe, that Europeans did not invade Africa, that black people sold their own people into slavery. That's absolutely true. Europeans did not invade Africa because they couldn't. <clears throat> Africans fought differently than the Europeans did. One of the weapons that they had was a poison dart. And the Europeans' armor would not stop poison darts. They didn't know what to do about it. The second thing that stopped them is the Africans had different diseases. So if the Europeans invaded Africa, they ended up catching these diseases that they had no immunity for, and they died just like we brought smallpox from Europe over here and gave it to the Indians. As I've stated, slavery has existed everywhere since the dawn of time. African found, slave owners found out that they could become more wealthy. Instead of having these slaves do work for them, they could sell them to slave traders and become insanely wealthy, and that's what they did. The slave traders found it a whole lot easier and safer to simply purchase the slaves. Slaves were mistreated on a scale that we cannot fathom. Some of the stories of the brutality of slave traders and slave owners is beyond horror movie material. There were stories of slaves that were being tra trafficked across the ocean who would, who would escape from the hold and jump overboard knowing they were going to drown because they would rather drown than live in the situation that they were living in. But times were changing. And society was evolving. The United States became a nation. Our Constitution was written. In the Constitution, Article 1, Section 2 states that non-white people are considered three-fifths of a person. Us versus them was baked into the Constitution. I don't know how, remember, how many of you remember your Georgia. Back in the day, you had to take Georgia history, and then you had to take United States history. I don't know how many of you might remember this when, from those studies, but Georgia was founded as a place where the deserving poor could come. So if you're a native Georgian, you came from poor people. 
It's where the native, where the, where the uh, uh, deserving poor people could come and make a new life and not compete with slavery. Slavery was illegal in Georgia when it was founded. But they couldn't stand the peer pressure. South Carolina was making money hand over fist, and some of those South Carolinians moved into Georgia, and before you know it, Georgia became a slave state. In 1845, the Southern Baptist Convention was formed when Baptists split over slavery. The Southern Baptists supported slavery. None of this is good. Those who are condemning our nation and who are casting Christianity aside leave history right here. They leave history at 1845. And if you stop at 1845, then you're correct. Racism is baked into the structure of the United States of America. Evangelicalism, as expressed by the Southern Baptist Convention, had racism based into its structure. The we of white folks are superior to the they of black folks if you stop history in 1845. But the last time I checked, Jesus didn't come in 1845. History has kept going. This isn't 1845. Before 1845, two things happened that caused thinking people, thinking Christians, to have some problems. Our own documents, the Declaration of Independence, contrasted with the Constitution of the United States of America, caused people to have some angst, the word that we like to use nowadays. In the Declaration of Independence, we said this, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and are endowed, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The founders wrote in the Declaration of Independence, all men with no qualification, rich, poor, fat or slim, black or white, doesn't matter, all men. And yet the Constitution of the United States said that a certain group of people were only equal to three-fifths of a person. It bothered some folks. And then you go a little bit further. This happened a long time before the founding of the United States. Some Christians realized that slavery was in the Bible for the same reason that divorce is in the Bible. Jesus said in Matthew 19, He, Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. In the beginning, God instituted marriage to be one man and one woman for life, period. We've got that in our bylaws here at the church, that that's that's what we believe because that's how God set it up. Just as an aside, and I'm going to be very careful here, but I want you to go When you've got a spare time and you find the manifestos of some of these organizations across the United States and read what those manifestos say, and you will find that one of the things they want to destroy is marriage, a patriarchal dominated family structure. They're wanting to remove all of that, which God himself put into place. Y'all read that, understand it, know it. That's how God set up marriage. 
Well, God says this about slavery. Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in his possession of him shall be put to death. That's Exodus 21, 16. Have you ever heard anybody preach that before? I don't remember reading that before. And I've read several times. God's perfect design does not include slavery. Faithful people were convicted of that sin. Christians repented. They started speaking out. There was a white pastor in New England somewhere who owned a printing press and was printing documents explaining why slavery was wrong. They broke into his office, they destroyed his printing press, and they executed him on the spot. That was a white pastor. They did that too. In the 1830, evangelical Protestant uh, spirits were stirred, and they led the fight. White European and white American evangelicals entered the fight to deliver black people from their bondage. Why did they get involved? Because God is a God of deliverance. He has always been a God of deliverance. He heard the cries of His people in bondage, and He set to set them free. I know that people want to argue over why the Civil War was fault. It was very complicated. It wasn't as simple as we make it out to be. But no matter how you shake it and bake it, the main impetus behind that war was slavery. And when folks say that America is a racist nation, they need to be reminded that 655,000 men died to eliminate slavery in the United States of America. Do you understand that? 655,000 people died to free black people from slavery, the majority of them white. And while Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation only freed the slaves in the South, go back and study your history. The Emancipation Proclamation did not free all slaves. It only freed the slaves in the Confederate States. But in 1865, when the war was over, the United States ratified the 13th Amendment to the Constitution on December the 5th, 1865, that ended slavery and involuntary servitude anywhere in the United States. But that didn't clear up the problem. The Constitution still said that a certain group of people were only three-fifths of a person. So on July the 28th, 1868, the 14th Amendment was ratified. The 14th Amendment guarantees equal protection under the law for all citizens, and Section 2 of that amendment eliminates the three-fifths counting. From that day forward, under the Constitution of the United States of America, Every man or naturalized citizen is counted as one person which fulfills the declaration statement that all men are created equal. Now our documents agreed. There's still work to do. March the 30th, 1870, the 15th Amendment was ratified, giving every man the right to vote, regardless of black, white, fat, skinny, rich, poor, didn't matter his station in life. On August the 26th of 1920, listen to the dates, boys and girls, the 19th Amendment was ratified that gave women the right to vote. You ladies couldn't vote until 1920. On January the 23rd of 1964, 
just 56 years ago, the 24th Amendment was ratified, eliminating poll taxes. The reason we had poll taxes was to keep poor black people and poor white people from voting. The leaders of the nation didn't want poor folks to vote. Certainly not poor blacks, but not poor whites either. Hooray for Georgia that we repealed the poll tax in 1945. We were slightly ahead of the curve. In 1995, 25 years ago, 25 years ago, the Southern Baptist Convention passed a resolution renouncing our racist roots, apologizing for our past defense of slavery, segregation, and white supremacy. 25 years ago. We now have a million African-American members in the Southern Baptist Convention. Our big idea this morning is we want to know the truth, accept the truth, and speak the truth. Still have about 10 minutes to go. Y'all hang in there with me. What we've recounted thus far is a summary of the truth. You can read the story of slavery in history for hours. It's re it, is, it is readily available online from many reputable historians. In this, you're going to read stories of valiant, brave, godly men and women of all colors who stood up for the truth that all people are created equal. That every human being alive was created in the image of God regardless of any us versus them that we might want to put on them. This is our past. The good, the bad, and the ugly. It's historical fact. It can't be denied. It's the truth. We have to accept that truth, but the truth doesn't stop there. We are making progress as a people. We are making progress as a nation. We are making progress as a church. And it's always fascinated me. One particular verse of the Bible Luke 9, 51 says, when the days drew near for him, Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. One translation I read said Jesus resolutely set his face. I like that word. He resolutely set his face. Jesus knew the hardship that was going to face him. He knew the physical and the spiritual beating that he was about to take. We watch the movie, The Passion, and we think we get a picture of it. But Jesus understood that he was about to be flailed by demons, that there was a demonic whipping that was coming his way in a way that we don't understand. He knew that he was literally going to experience hell on earth, and still he set his face resolutely to go to Jerusalem. Nothing in heaven or hell or anything in between could stop Jesus from doing what the Father needed to be done so that all humanity could be delivered. We must accept the truth that it's time for us to resolutely set our faces to follow Jesus. That the days of easy Christianity are over. No longer is it accepted to be a good person, you're going to be a churchgoer. When I was a little boy, a good church person went to church 12 times a month. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If you didn't go those three times, there's something wrong with you. My family usually went on Sunday mornings, and I'd go on Sunday nights occasionally. God only knows what they did on Wednesdays. They probably handled snakes. I don't know. 
To be a good Christian now, to be active in your church, you come to church twice a month. Twice. Times have changed. There's an attempt to redefine Christianity by the law of lawless. The fact that we believe that a man and a woman should be married for life and that there is such a thing as a man and there is such a thing as a woman is called bigoted. Let me put that in the terminology of the Bible. These people are antichrists. Do you understand? I use that word on purpose. The Bible says that there will be many antichrists who will come. There'll be an ultimate big antichrist, but before that time, there'll be many. These people are antichrists. But just like the Spirit of God stirred the consciences of those who overturned slavery and fought for equality, He will stir our hearts now. We are being called on to set our faces resolutely to follow Jesus with every step we take. We are being called on to see things around us with open and clear eyes exactly as they are. If we see injustice, we must stand against it, whether the injustice is against a black person, a white person, a rich person, a poor person, a famous person, or an obscure person. We have to stand against injustice. All people were created equal. That came from the Scripture. We must speak the truth. We must work to eliminate systems that trap people in poverty. We must fight systems that work to destroy the basic building block of society. A godly society is based on a godly family. We must fight against those who would fight that. We must be like the disciples in the early church where the Word of God says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. We cannot afford the luxury of self-righteous comfort anymore. We are being called to see with clear eyes and to be brokenhearted that in our society, In September of 2020, a mama in middle Georgia was walking down the road with her two children, homeless, destitute, had no idea where she was going. She's just walking down the road hoping. We cannot accept that as a tolerable thing. These things must break our hearts. We have to take action. We must set our faces resolutely to seek the face of Jesus so that he will know the truth, so that we will know the truth. We must set our faces resolutely to pray and to cry out and be ready to be shaken. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we must speak the word of God with boldness. It is not a new era. It's not a new day. It's the same day that it's always been. When man fell in the garden, today began. And God has been delivering his people from that day until this day, until the day that he calls us all home and creates a new heaven and new earth. He has delivered us before he will deliver us again. And deliverance always comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, 
If you abide in my word, the word is logos, logos. In the beginning was the logos, in the beginning was the word, in the beginning was Jesus. If you abide in Jesus, if you follow Jesus, if you resolutely set your face to follow Jesus, if you make up your mind that what you're going to do with your life is to follow Jesus, you are truly my disciple and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Tara told me that every plantation had a big old white house with columns, two chimneys reaching for the sky. Selznick lied to me. Don't you let the people on television lie to you. Know the truth. Accept the truth. You speak the truth because you know the truth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for a <laughs> I thank you for a patient and understanding congregation. Until this minute, I don't understand why in the world you didn't let me preach some little. 115th anniversary devotion today. Why this had to be now. Father, there's an ill wind blowing across our nation. And we have not been people of truth in the church for a while. Some churches like ours, Father, we're trying as hard as we can, but we look across the landscape and we see rainbow flags flying in front of other First Baptist churches. We hear other First Baptist churches tossing out Scripture, saying God is love and there is no wrath. We hear other churches that claim to be Christian that, Lord, believe practically nothing. And because of the impotence of your church, our nation has suffered dramatically. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for enjoying the blessings so much that we forgot the responsibility that goes with it. And Father, as life gets hard for Christians, I pray that you cause many of us, I hope all of us, to resolutely set our face to follow Jesus no matter what we're called to do. Let us not fear saying the wrong thing because, Jesus, you promised yourself that in that hour we'll know what to say, that we don't even need to practice it. We need to go forward. We need to know the truth so that we can speak the truth. Father, I pray that we would be people of integrity and honor. That we would be people that truly would one day hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Help us to be those people. We want to be those people. We love you, Jesus, and we want to know how to follow you better. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank you for joining us for another episode from FBC Gray. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single message. For more information about First Baptist Gray, visit us online at fbcgray.org. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue helping people find Jesus and give Jesus away. Thank you.